0: Well, good morning, church. My name is Peter Kim. I have the privilege of getting to serve here as one of its pastors. Oh, and I've also had the privilege of getting to live in Houston now for, oh, eight years. It's a long time. It's longer than I've lived in any city, for that matter. And I have to confess to a room of people that I love and trust uh, that it did not start that way. I didn't always love it here. It was supposed to be a pit stop of one to two years at best. And it's because I was so fixated on the city's flaws, on Houston's warts, if you will. And you have to admit there's a fair share of those, right? Houston has those. Uh, I have two parents who live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And like any individuals from the Dallas-Fort Worth area, they can't help themselves but to look down on people in Houston, both literally and figuratively. And so year after year my parents ask me the same question why oh why do you live in Houston because they visit time and again and they're they're met with the summer's humidity and they're like you've got enough of this to share with the rest of the cities in the nation and they look and they feel like oh my goodness the potholes have grown exponentially why does this keep happening why are there new ones every single time we think that the old ones are finally good and done with Not only for the potholes, but some of the hurricanes, and not just the hurricanes, but even the traffic. I mean, loops upon loops of traffic. And so my parents asked me time and again, Why, oh, why do you live here? And so over the years, this answer has evolved and developed, but ultimately boiled down into a single reason. And it's because I love the people here. You see, it's The fact that Houston is a city that I love, it is great in my mind and in my heart because the people make the place. I love the grittiness of Houstonians. I love the fact that that Houston is one of the most diverse cities, if not the most in the nation. I I love the people here. This city is a a city that I love because the people make the place. What we're going to come to find this morning as we dive into this passage in Revelation 21 is that. Our heavenly home, the holy city of God. For those who have trusted in Jesus this morning, your forever home is actually like Houston in this way. What do I mean by that? What I mean is this. Our forever home is of immeasurable value. I mean immeasurable. And it's because the people make the place. So we're going to get to go on a tour this morning. A tour of this holy city, of our forever home, and we're going to come to find that it's the people that make the place. Let's dive in. Look in your Bibles with me or up on the screen in Revelation 21, verse 9. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper clearest crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and at the gates 12 angels and on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed on the east three gates and the north three gates, on the south three gates and on the west three gates And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Okay, let's pause here. I think the invitation for us this morning is to be swept up into alongside of John the Revelator on an angelic tour. Here is this angel who takes John the Revelator and us this morning up onto the height of the mountain and says, Come, let me show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. If you spend any meaningful amount of time in the scriptures, you know that the Bible does not talk about the wife of Christ, the bride of the Lamb, as a city or as a place. Rather, it's us. It's the men and women who have been ransomed and redeemed. But like any good tour guide, this angel is getting us ready. He's trying his very best to help us see something in its totality but he's saving the best for last and he says i'm going to show you before i show you the bride come keep on coming i'm going to show you the home that he's prepared for her and so did you hear it did you hear of the city that we get to witness and get a tour of this morning it it has jesus's fingerprints all over it it descends from heaven kind of like jesus did When the word became flesh and dwelt among us, not only that, it has the very glory of God beaming and radiating out of it, a lot like the Son of God who took on flesh. So with Jesus' fingerprints all over it, our angelic tour guide says, let me give you a panoramic view of this place, this home that he has built for you and for me. So he sweeps us and us all the way around the city, and he says, you see angels, 12 of them. Good luck getting past those. But not only the angelic gatekeepers, I'm talking about the gates, all 12 of them. And in each of these gates are inscribed a name of the tribe of Israel. Now, John, as a first century Jew, would would receive that and pause, and he would get a, a glimpse from the angelic tour guide and a little bit of a smirk, and he'd realize, oh, I've seen this structure before. I've felt these descriptions in my past. And so I'm going to show you an image on the screen here behind me. This is the God-designed, God-ordained encampment for the people of God surrounding the tabernacle there in the middle. Three tribes at each cardinal direction. And so as John is receiving this panoramic view of our forever home, he's realizing, oh, this is historically rich. This is deeply connected to the Old Testament where God had chosen an insignificant people to be his And he put his very presence right there in the heart of it, localized for his people to be set apart from all others. And what Jesus has done is he has woven from all of eternity past through the Old Testament into the New, a story for us to recognize, oh, our forever home has his fingerprints all over it, and it is historically rich. The angel says, keep on coming. Do you see its foundations as we walk around this place? Twelve foundations make up this grand and glorious city, and on each of the foundations are a name of one of the apostles of Christ. Now, for John, something would have happened in his mind that I think you and I could easily miss. He would recall a moment where Peter, one of the other apostles, looked at Jesus and said, You are the Christ. Who else would we follow? You are him. You are the Messiah. You are the one that we've been waiting for. And Jesus looks at him in Matthew 16 and says, on that rock, on the rock of that confession, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not, cannot stand and prevail against it. And so John would smile and he would chuckle with his angelic tour guide and realize, oh, the sweet irony that on the rock of that confession, from there in that place, 12 insignificant men would take the gospel message to the ends of the earth to the best of their ability. And on the rock of their confession, Jesus built the church. And on the rock of that confession, on their very names, he establishes the foundation of our forever home. Oh, the sweet irony. So you may hear all of this and think, that's great. Historic is fine. I don't want us to miss the fact that this is not historic in the sense of of old and decaying, this is historic in a very different way. You may hear historic and immediately think of something like my, uh, my historic Heights home. My wife and I and our nine-month-old son, we live in a 1,200-square-foot bungalow, and when I tell you that you will be greeted by the house the moment you walk in, it's because as you step in, the floors will greet you right back. They will creak all the way through the entire house just to let you know that they're here with you. Just yesterday, I was playing pass of sorts with my son. I would roll the ball to him, and my wife would help him roll the ball back to me, and I have to very strategically, depending on where I am in my home, roll the ball several inches away from him in hopes that it'll get to him. It's going to do like a curvature action because of my uneven foundation. You get what I'm saying? Every owner that has owned this home, all dozen of them over the past hundred years, has painted over the walls a different shade of white, hoping like, let's just cover it up one more time. Let's just hope that nobody can see what's really under there. So I've got uneven foundations, and I've got covered over walls. I live in a historic home. And I'm here to tell you this morning, this is not the sort of historic we're talking about. Not the weathered sort of historic, but the weighty sort. I don't know if you've ever been uh, on the Freedom Trail in Boston. You get to go and walk a two and a half mile trek and you get to stop in 16 different locations. And every single place you stop, you recognize that the air feels a little differently when you hear about what's happened here. Because here in these spaces, here in these moments, there were individuals who saw transformation for a nation. Like they they got to be part of the beginnings of our nation and you begin to feel that there's something different in the air as you walk those spaces, that is the sort of weightiness I'm talking about when I say historic and historically rich. Now, I don't want you to miss this. Our angelic tour guide glances over at us in all of our wonder and awe and says, You ain't seen nothing yet. This is not what makes your forever home valuable. You ain't seen nothing yet. Look in the text with me at verse 15. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city in its gates and walls. The city lies four square; its length the same as its width, and he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its walls, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold like clear glass." The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third a gate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. So we grasp together a little bit on this tour that the city is historically weighty. But then we get brought into the inside. Our tour guide brings us to the interior of the city and says, you ain't seen nothing yet. And as he gives us a tour around the city, what does he point our eyes to? He first says, pause, let me wait a second. I'm going to whip out my gold measuring tape. And at the corner of one of, the city, of the city, I'm going to press a button and whew, the measuring tape zips away. And he guides us all the way through to the very end of the measuring tape and says, read that number, what's it say? 12,000 stadia is the length of the city. That equates to roughly 1,500 miles. And he says, okay, stay right here, I'm going to press the button again. Whew, and then we're going to make the trek all the way to the width of the city and find that it's 12,000 stadia again. 1500 miles by 1500 miles now that that might not mean a lot to you i don't know 1500 by 1500 miles what does that mean Uh, for john that would have been roughly the size of the entire hellenistic known world like okay we've got a city the size of everything that i know possible for us today from where you are sitting to Times square is about the length of this city according to these measurements that's a big city So the angel is trying to lift up our gaze to recognize from within. Do you understand how vast this city really is? Can you try to comprehend with me just how grand and how large of a city God has created for his people? But not only that, not only its vastness, our tour guide points to its brilliance. He says, Did you see it? Did you hear it? Twelve everywhere. 12 angels, 12 gates, 12 foundations, 12,000 stadia, 144 cubits is the thickness of these walls. I don't, know, I don't know why we need that thick of walls. It's over 200 feet of wall, but it's 12 times 12. Do you, do you see even the jewels adorning the foundations of the wall? Four rows of three, 12 everywhere, because with thoughtful precision, your bridegroom has prepared this place for you meticulously, thoughtfully but not only is, is it brilliant because of its thoughtful precision, it's brilliant just because it's, it's radiating. We get a glimpse of the gates from the inside and realize that these gates are made of a single ginormous pearl, all 12 of them. I don't even think I can imagine a pearl that large to, to make up a gate's size. And so we're gawking at the gates that are made of a single pearl, but then the angel, angelic tour guide says, look at the very streets you're walking on. And we'd see that they're pure gold i don't know about you but it's it's hard for me to enter into this reality it just feels so unreal it feels so unlike the very place that you're sitting or the, or the city that we live in right houston's got potholes galore and i'm you're talking about a city with pure gold streets i don't, I don't know what to make of that i don't know how to comprehend that So let me try to uh, help us empathize a little bit with what I think John the Revelator is experiencing in this moment on this tour. Two weeks ago, you may have, like me, um, spent maybe way too many minutes looking at a couple of images uh, from the James Webb Space Telescope. I'm going to put these on the screen here. And if you're anything like me, you know very little about astronomy. (laughs) And yet, that doesn't impede you from appreciating the images here on the screen. Now, if you're like me, you, you tried not to smile because you're looking at images on your computer like, why, why can't I not stop smiling? This would be weird to anybody that just looks at me. But it's that sort of, I can't help but smile sort of smiling. It's that, that moment physically where you feel your jaw begin to drop because you can't help but shake your head. Is, is this real? Like, how could this exist out there in our universe? And how in the world did we capture it? See, billions of dollars were spent. Lots of intelligent people were put together to make these images possible for you and I to witness. And what I'm convinced of is this. The way that this might have for you like it did for me made your jaw drop just a little bit, made you smile even though you tried not to smile, sort of smiling. Because if you're like me, I couldn't believe that there is a God who created all of it. I couldn't believe that there is a creator God in all of his majesty, his splendor, his creativity knows every single name of every single star in the sky and put it very strategically and specifically in its place and knows exactly what it's up to, whether it's this year or hundreds of billions of years ago. There is a creator God who is over it all. You and I are a speck of a speck within this entire cosmos that we get to live in, but there is one in God who has created it all masterfully and i think that's what john is experiencing in this moment i think he's looking around and he's thinking how is this possible it's taking my breath away it's that beautiful it's making my jaw drop it's that sort of radiant and so i know that you and i it's hard to imagine here in these uncomfortable blue seats but there is a place that jesus your bridegroom has prepared for you and it is breathtakingly beautiful but I need us to hear and agree together this morning. Our angelic tour guide is looking at us, closing our jaws, and saying, "Keep it moving. Keep it moving. You ain't seen nothing yet. The best is yet to come." Like any good tour guide, he saved the best for last. Now, again, just a pause in this moment. We are walking in a tour of our forever home in a city with no warts, no flaws, no potholes, no traffic, no humidity You're breathing. The only air we're soaking in, again, is how historically rich and how breathtakingly beautiful our forever home is. And in this moment, in this moment, we're about to witness together as to why this place is actually valuable, why it's actually stunning. Look in your Bibles with me in Revelation 21, verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. All right. John the Revelator has been touring the outside and now the inside of this forever home of ours. And what he stops to realize is that the angelic tour guide has just stopped dead in his tracks. He's back there, and we've just been walking, gawking at the streets and the pearly gates, and John the Revelator looks around and realizes something in this moment. Wait a minute, there's no temple. (laughs) What sort of city of God does not have a temple in it? Where would we go to engage in his presence? Where would we go to to worship him, to to be enveloped in all that he is? Where would we go as the assembled, gathered, ransomed people of God? Where would we go to be with him? And he realizes in this moment something that I don't want you and I to miss. He looks down the way, 12,000 stadia. He looks to his right, 12,000 stadia. Then he looks up that its length and its width and its height are all equal. What does that mean? The holy city, the heavenly home of ours, that that Jesus has prepared perfectly, meticulously for us, is a cube. Whoop-de-doo. Like, I don't know what to do with that. It's it's a giant cube. I don't know what to make of that. For John the Revelator, he would have stopped dead in his tracks and fallen down. Right there on his knees. He would have realized in that moment there is no temple because we're in the very heart of it right now. You see, in the tabernacle or in Solomon's temple, there was a cubic room at the heart of it, 20 cubits by 20 cubits by 20 cubits, roughly the size of of a large living room, and that cubic room was the very heart of God's presence localized for his people. And because it was so holy, because it was so set apart, because you and I, being sinful men and women, did not belong in his presence, only one person once a year was ever allowed to enter. The high priest would go once a year to make a sacrifice of atonement for all of God's people. That was the only individual ever allowed in the Holy of Holies, a cubic room where God's presence dwelt. And John realizes what I want you and I to realize this morning, that our forever home is the Holy of Holies. This cubic room that was confined and 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 reserved for one person once a year has now been stretched out vast and glorious for you and I to walk and enjoy and belong in. And you and I can't miss this. There is a lamb who lived for you and who died for you, who rose victorious over the grave for you, and because he is seated at the right hand of the Father right now, there is a home for you where you belong in his presence. The saints of old would be dumbfounded. With John, they would fall to their knees and in disbelief. You and I aren't in disbelief enough about this. That there is a place where you and I belong, where we're at home in the very presence of the living God who created the heavens and the earth and all that is in it? How could that be? The entire scriptures are trying to answer a question. How can sinful people dwell with the holy God? And here in Revelation 21, we see there is a place in the very presence of God where you and I belong, where we're home. And it's because of the Lamb. See, it's the very presence of God that is the greatest treasure of heaven. It's a fact that we belong there with Him. Not only that, if you're like me in this room today, you love that truth. You do. And you try to revere it and reflect on it more and more day by day. But the trouble, the, the difficulty in that is you are a sinful, broken person just like I am. And so I've got doubts. And doubts galore. There are mornings that I wake up and I know that Jesus loves me. I know that the Father God tears the heavens open in the same way he did for Jesus and looks upon me and says, my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. I know that cognitively, but I don't experience that day by day. You see, that's what's true of you if you've accepted Jesus today. That's how God looks at you. That's how how much he longs to be near to you. But because of our sin, because of our brokenness, I don't believe it every day. And that's the beauty of the fact that there's no sun or there's no moon to light this place that we get to call forever home. The very light that squeaks out every doubt, that stamps out every moment of darkness, is Jesus himself. That the moment that you want to believe the truth but can't believe it here and now will be stamped out forever one day because Jesus' glory and his love for you, his pursuit of you will radiate so gloriously there is no room for doubt There is no darkness there. You can't second guess or question whether he really loves you, whether you really belong, whether this is really your home. Can you imagine a place where you never worry about that? Where you know where Jesus is 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 where you belong. You are most at home in his presence and you are totally and lovingly embraced by him there. Guys, it's all because of the Lamb. And here in that place, there in that glorious place, we will be home. It begs the question, though, as the angelic tour guide has taken a few steps back and just allowed us to just revel in this place, he he leans over and whispers in our ear, but do you see the people? I told you I'd show you the bride. There they go, proceeding forward through the heavenly gates. And what are they bringing with them? Glories? and honor. I'm not going to pretend like I know definitively what that means. Theologians and scholars have been arguing and disagreeing about this for centuries. So it it compelled me to do a study, to scour over the New Testament of, of every reference of human glory. What does this mean? Who am I? Who are you that you have something to bring to this future home that is this radiant, that is this breathtakingly beautiful? what could you possibly bring that is glorious about you? And I think what we come to find is it's our distinct glories. It's our distinct glories. What is distinctly glorious about you and me, I think, from this passage is twofold. One, it's our ethnic diversity. Did you hear that the nations, not a people who all look the same, but the nations, every ethne, Every tribe, language, and tongue, every single peoples are represented here, and there they go proceeding through the heavenly gates, bringing their own distinct glories with them, their cultural nuance. And so I, I just need to warn you today, if you don't like cultural nuance, if you don't like the fact that there are different forms of worship and language and, and food and, and taste and culture, I just need to say, you're going to be a little disappointed in heaven. But not only that, as I scoured the, the scriptures for what, what does it mean that, that we could have glory, distinctly so bringing that before our bridegroom, Jesus himself. I'm going to put up a verse up on the screen here in Colossians 1. Colossians 1.27. I think this will help shape the rest of our conversation. It reads this, to them, and the Apostle Paul is referring to the saints or the church, To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles, or the nations, are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let's leave that up there for a little bit. It's a tough verse to immediately be like, got it, good. You have to read it a couple of times. But what I'm convinced this verse is shaping for us is this you want to know what distinct glories you will get to bring into heaven it's not just your ethnic diversity your cultural nuance it's it's the moments of christ in you experientially the moments of christ in you experientially what what do i mean by that the moments the times where you were most christ-like i'm convinced we will bring those stories by the campfire in heaven and we will laugh and we will sing and we will worship God for every single one of those moments. It will be glorious to get to share with one another the moments of experiencing Christ in you and Christ in me. The moments that you were most Christ-like. Think about it. When you were suffering, and I mean really suffering, the moments where the prognosis came too abruptly or death of a loved one came too quickly. Wherever that gap exists of what you expect of this life and what you actually got dealt to you, whether it's the marriage you always longed for, the family that you always hoped for, wherever dreams have been dashed that has led you to sorrow and to sadness and in those places of suffering for you to still cling to God's promises, oh, that is Christ in you when you have been abandoned and insulted, when you have been betrayed by the people you love most, and even there, right there in that space, you choose to trust and hope in what God says is true, that is Christ in you. Isn't that Christ-like? That even though he came to save us, to redeem us, we mocked him, we spat on him, we scorned him, and we ultimately crucified him. And even there up on that old rugged cross, what did Jesus do? He clung on to the promises of God. So you want to know moments of Christ in you that I think you'll get to bring in and share the stories of by the fire in heaven? It's those moments where you suffered and you clung to God's promises. And I will have a a smile on my face and I will sing praises to our God because that is true of you, because that was Christ in you. But not only in your suffering, but also in your pursuit, in your pursuing of people who are very, very different than you. If there was a spectrum that existed of differences of people, Jesus Christ would be here, the perfect and precious Son of God. I would exist way over here on the other side of the spectrum, wrought with sin, broken in every way. I've made a thousand promises to God and a thousand I've broken. There are not two people more different than me and him, and what did he do for me? He loved me even unto death. He pursued me in spite of me, not because of me, not because of the similarities that existed between us, but in spite of our differences, he pursued the heck out of me. And he pursued the heck out of you. And I need you to hear this morning that that is the invitation for you to experience more moments of Christ in you. I know that there are people in this room who are very different from you. I know that there are people who vote very differently than you. I know that there are people in this room who like things on social media, very different from the things that you like. I know that there are people here who you have argued with, who have hurt you, who have said things about you behind your back, that how dare they ever say that thing. There are people here you don't have chemistry with, you don't naturally get along with. And I need you to tell you something this morning. You want to be Christ-like? You want to experience the glorious, distinct riches of Christ in you? Pursue people that are different than you. Love them in spite of the differences. Isn't that not what Jesus did for you? Is that not what we worship him for, for doing for us? And I think one day, by the fireside in heaven, I will see the moments replayed before us of all the times you pursued people in spite of their differences from you. And we will sing, we will clap, we will rejoice that it was because Jesus Christ is in you. So I've got a little bit of a surprise for you this morning. You don't have to wait to taste the delight of heaven. You don't have to wait. You can enjoy heaven's riches here and now. If it's true, if it is in fact true, per the scriptures, that our forever home is like our temporary home where the people make the place. That's actually what makes this immeasurably valuable. Guess what? You get to taste it here and now. So the invitation is this. In a sea of distraction, as a people who spend more time in front of a screen than we do actually engaging other human beings face to face, I need you to know that in a sea of distraction will you choose to love, and I mean love to linger in the presence of Jesus. Because if you don't love it now, if you don't choose to linger in it now, I promise you, heaven won't be as delightful Heaven won't be as gloriously rich to you if you don't love it and savor it now. And he wants it for you because he wants you. But not only that, in an age of criticality, in an age where it's really easy, easy to criticize the bride of Christ, and I know it to be true, I, I've got an inside view to all of its, its warts, the church is flawed built of lots of broken pieces but in an age of harsh criticality will you choose differently will you choose instead to pursue in spite of differences to love the bride of christ the way that he does and i'm talking about people in your house church that don't think like you i'm talking about people that sit across this room for you that you don't want to interact with because you've seen what they like on social media, you you feel that, and what I'm begging you to do now is taste the riches of heaven, enjoy its delight, pursue people who are different from you. Because I'm convinced that one day we will get to look each other in the face and say, oh, that was Christ in you. That was Christ in me. And I hope to God that today and this week and this month and this year, me and others and people around you will get to look at you and say, that's Christ in you. That is the spirit of God working and alive in you. Do you know it? And we will bring that distinct glory into heaven with us and I can't wait for that day. Now if you're like me, it's passages like these that make you just long for eternity. It makes you long for it just to wrap up and just hurry on through. But I'm telling you right now, our forever home is a lot like our temporary one in that it is immeasurably valuable. This is immeasurably valuable because the people make the place. So let's be a people who believe it, who pursue it, who love Jesus' presence and his bride the way that he does. Amen? Let me pray for this. Well, Jesus, I... I'm at a loss for words because I don't. I don't know why I continue to fall short uh, repeatedly and continually, in the ways that you have asked me to fix my eyes to raise my gaze on this sort of hope. You are the one who loved me through and through, who is preparing a place for me—a place that I couldn't even dare to imagine what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no mind could possibly imagine, what you have prepared for those who love you. And I have ignored the fact that you invite me, you call me to delight in the riches of that reality here and now, today. And so God, I pray that we would be a church, that Seven Mile Road would be a family who loves the way that you love, who pursues the way that you pursue, And so God, thank you. Thank you that it's because of you that we can begin to imagine and begin to explore all that you have prepared for us, for those who love you. And so we do, God, we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.